Riverlands Migratory Bird Sanctuary, U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. This audio-described tour was created in 2011 for the Riverland Migratory Bird Sanctuary Visitor Center near St. Louis, Missouri. It is located on the Mississippi River near its confluence with the Missouri River. Using science, education, and public engagement, their mission is to inspire conservation of the river's rich diversity in birds, wildlife, and other natural resources. The tour is narrated by Jan Elliott and Tim Gelson. Welcome and audio guide instructions, approximately three and a half minutes. On behalf of the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers and the National Audubon Society, welcome to the Audubon Center at the Riverlands Migratory Bird Sanctuary. I will provide all direction and description. A male voice will read panel text and captions. We'll now begin your audio-described tour. The first stop is a tactile site map and is located to the right of the information desk where you picked up your audio guide. Starting at the information desk, turn 90 degrees to your right and move five or six steps forward and slightly to the left. Please be aware you'll be passing a rectangular-shaped column on your right. You'll come to an angled shelf on the wall about hip-high. Turn back to the left to face the exhibit, and whenever you're ready, press the number 2 on your audio guide keypad. The 2 button is located immediately above the 5 on your keypad. Enter the number 2, then hold the audio guide to your ear. The audio will start to play in a few seconds. Tactile Sight Maps. Just under 3 minutes. The shelf has the Riverlands Migratory Bird Sanctuary sitemap on the left half and the Orientation Center sitemap on the right. Both sitemaps are tactile and written in Braille. The key to the Riverlands Migratory Bird Sanctuary is situated on the lower left quadrant of the map and has two symbols. The top symbol is the line for the refuge boundary, and the bottom symbol is the UR Here star, labeled the River's Project Office. To locate the You Are Here star on the sanctuary map, search about halfway up the panel on the left-hand side. We suggest you begin at the star, then move your hand to the left to find the tactile outer boundary line heading northeast. Just inside that boundary line is the Clark Bridge that crosses the Mississippi River. Following the boundary across to the southeast, you'll come to a curved finger that surrounds Maple Island. The Melvin Price Locks and Dam is near the head of Maple Island and spans the Mississippi River. Take your time exploring the Riverlands Migratory Bird Sanctuary map, and whenever you're ready, please turn your attention to the right half of the panel, where the Orientation Center map is located. The Orientation Center is where you are now, and its key is located on the left-hand side of the map. You'll find the You Are Here star in the center of the panel. Numbers label the various rooms, and the main room of the Orientation Center, labeled number 2, is where your audio tour takes place. I'll guide you through the exhibits in this large room during the tour. The next stop on your audio tour is called Rest, Nest, and Digest. Take your time with the site maps, and when ready to continue the audio tour, turn 90 degrees to your right and move straight about 8 to 10 steps and then turn back to your left to face the exhibit. You'll encounter a large, wall-size exhibit with multiple layers of panels, flanked by a barren, life-sized tree with a barred owl perched at the top. 
Whenever you're ready to hear more, press the number 3 on your audio guide keypad. Rest, nest, and digest. Part 1, about 3 minutes. The background photo on the large panel in the center shows the wide river as glassy calm. Reflected in the water are the brown, reedy grasses and green bank of the Mississippi River. A thick forest of trees line the opposite shore. On the left is a smaller vertical panel with a yellow-chested bird called the common yellowthroat perched in the reeds. Its black and gray head is lifted in song. The photo caption reads, Migratory birds are usually just passing through on their way to someplace else. Some species, however, decide to stay long enough to start a family. Below the photo, a quote from naturalist John Burroughs reads, To be thrilled by the stars at night, to be elated over a bird's nest or a wildflower in spring, these are some of the rewards of the simple life. At the upper left, the exhibit's panel text reads, If you were on a long hike, you would have to make plans to find food and shelter along your route. Birds also need to sleep and eat when they are migrating. This sanctuary is a popular rest stop because the different habitats satisfy many needs. At the bottom of the photo are three tactile eggs that you are welcome to touch. Starting from the left is the egg of a red tailed hawk. It's brown in color and laced with red spots. These eggs take about a month to hatch. And it will be more than 40 days before the baby birds leave the nest. The next egg to the right is a small killdeer egg, white with black spots. This shorebird lays four to six eggs at a time, and the hatchlings leave as soon as their feathers are dry. On the right is a solid cream colored egg from a wood duck, who may lay up to 40 eggs in one nest. The hatchlings are covered in down and leave the nest about 24 hours after they hatch. To the right of the photo is a display of four different nests behind a protective layer of plexiglass that shows some of the variety of size and materials used by native species. For a description of each nest and to hear its caption, press the green button now. The green button is located two buttons directly above the number five on your audio guide keypad. Or you may wish to skip this section and continue to the diorama display located in the center of this exhibit. Just press the number 4 on your audio guide keypad whenever you're ready. Description of nests, just under 2 minutes. Beginning at the top left is a modestly sized nest situated amongst leafy branches. The caption reads A dick thistle is a sparrow like bird. It builds a cup like nest out of grass and weeds and lines it with softer vegetation. Nests are found above ground, often in saplings. In the top right corner is a soft, willowy nest about the size of a half dollar, built on bare branches. The caption reads The ruby throated hummingbird builds its nest from thistle or dandelion down. Spider silk is used to hold the nest together and to attach lichen as camouflage. Towards the bottom, on the right hand side, is a loosely constructed nest made of stiff, reedy stalks that rest on mud. The caption reads The pied billed grebe, a water bird, builds a solid nest on the ground in shallow water. In deeper water, the nest may float or is anchored to vegetation. And in the bottom left hand corner is a tightly constructed nest made of mud and grass with a distinct hole in the center. The caption reads The spotted sandpiper makes its nest in a hollow in the ground, which it lines with grass or other vegetation. This shorebird likes to nest near water.
Take your time, and whenever you're ready, we'll continue on to the diorama display, located in the center of this exhibit. You may need to step to your right to position yourself in the center. Then press the number 4 on your audio guide keypad. Rest, Nest, and Digest Part 2 Diorama Description Just over 2 minutes. Continuing to the right, to the center panel, is a large three dimensional diorama of a wildlife scene at the mudflats. This exhibit displays the wide variety of wildlife found in the fertile mudflats of the Riverlands Migratory Bird Sanctuary. In the shallow water at the edge of the bank, there are grasses, twigs, rocks, and mud populated with birds, turtles, a frog, and a shrimp. I'll highlight a few of the wildlife in the scene. In the shallow water, the brown feathered back of a common golden eye duck can be seen just above the surface while it forages underwater for food. A pink shrimp crawls along the bottom just out of reach. Nearby, a small green turtle with a pointed nose appears to be climbing out of the water and onto the bank. This unique little turtle is called a stinkpot, and while fully grown, it's only about the size of your hand. Up on the muddy bank, a spotted plains leopard frog peeks around a small clump of marsh grass as a shorebird and hawk hunt for their next meal. Just below the water scene is a shelf about hip high titled Not Just for the Birds. It highlights the non avian creatures that also make their home in the sanctuary. To the right of the shelf is a large magnifier that slides across a display with artifacts of the variety of food sources found in the mudflats. To hear more about the items on the shelf, press the green button now. The green button is located two buttons directly above the number five on your audio guide keypad. Or, if you prefer, you can skip this information and move on to the next exhibit titled Making Progress with Our Partners. To reach the next exhibit, begin with your back to the tree. Then move directly forward and slightly to your left about six to eight steps. You'll come to a freestanding vertical exhibit with a hip high shelf. When you're ready to continue, Press the number 5 on your audio guide keypad. Description of the shelf and magnifier, about four and a half minutes. Beginning on the left hand side of the shelf, the panel text reads Not just for the birds. You may have come here to watch birds, but there are many other organisms to see, from fish to frogs and insects to snakes. Look carefully around you for these little creatures. But don't tell the birds when you find something, or your discovery might become something else's dinner. Just to the right is a cluster of photos. The first features a family fishing on the rocky banks of the river. The caption reads Lots of birds come here to catch fish, but they aren't the only ones going fishing. Underneath the family photo is one of an otter standing in the green reeds and purple flowers. Overhunting and habitat loss almost caused river otters to disappear from Missouri by the 1930s. They were reintroduced in the early 1980s. Otters now thrive in streams, ponds, and wetlands across the state. Otters are still highly valued for their fur, but you can't trap them in the sanctuary. Above the otter is a photo of a long, black snake, loosely coiled. Its light yellow underside is clearly seen on the bottom of its jaw. The yellow bellied water snake is not poisonous, nor is it dangerous to humans. It is dangerous to small fish and frogs, which it eats. On the other side of the food chain are egrets and hawks, which eat the snakes. To the right of the snake 
is a photo of a fish with shark-like fins and a long, flat snout. The paddlefish is easily identified by its paddle-shaped snout, which is about one third of its total body length. Paddlefish are filter feeders. They swim with their mouths open and filter tiny plants and animals from the water to eat. There are two flip tiles below the paddlefish photo. The flip tile on the left shows a damselfly resting on a leaf. It has a needle-thin body and iridescent greenish-black wings. Lift the tile, and the panel text reads. Birds aren't the only things that fly at Riverlands. Dragonflies and damselflies can be seen skimming the water's surface throughout the sanctuary. These beautiful insects come in many colors, and they are helpful to humans as they eat other insects like mosquitoes. The second flip tile on the right has a photo of a lizard with smooth green skin and light-colored stripes down its side. Its tail graduates from green to blue. Lift the tile, and the text reads. The five-lined skink is the most common lizard in Missouri. It's sometimes called a blue-tailed skink. It's easy to see why it has those two names. Continuing to the right is the magnifier display. The panel text reads: "What's for dinner? From the water to the forest, the mudflats to the prairie, this sanctuary has something for many different types of birds to eat. The variety of food sources helps make it a popular place for birds and other wildlife." Slide the magnifier to see the types of food that birds find in different habitats. Moving left to right, first is food from the mudflats, which consists of tiny crustaceans and wetland vegetation. Second is a variety of prairie grasses and insects. Third is food from the forest, where a slice of tree bark harbors various insects. And the last item is aquatic plants and animals that are found in the water. Take your time exploring the exhibit. And whenever you're ready, please continue to the next exhibit titled "Making Progress with Our Partners." To get there, begin with your back to the tree, then move directly forward and slightly to the left six to eight steps. You'll come to a freestanding vertical exhibit with the shelf about hip high. When you're ready to continue, press the number five on your audio guide keypad. Making progress with our partners. About four minutes. In the center of this exhibit are logos for the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers and the National Audubon Society. The panel text reads: Making progress with our partners. Why is the Mississippi River important? It has many roles: commercial, recreational, and environmental. Each of these roles places demands on the river and the lands around it. It takes many organizations working together to manage the lands along the river to support those roles. This bird sanctuary was developed in the early 1990s by the Corps of Engineers in partnership with the Audubon Society and other organizations. These public and private organizations work with the Corps to restore and maintain the wetlands. The National Audubon Society also helps run the visitor center. Just as important are the partners who promote this area as a place for outdoor exploration and fun. To the left is an inset that features a photo collage, and is titled "Working Together." The photo at the top is of a ranger with a visitor to the sanctuary. They stand by the river as he shows her the plant life he holds in his hands. The Illinois Natural History Survey conducts research here, studying plants and water quality. Logos for both the Illinois Natural History Survey and U.S. Geological Survey are displayed beside the photo. The next photo down shows a forester in a wooded area, dressed in jeans and a blue sweatshirt. He is focused on taking a small core sample from the trunk of a mature tree. 
The caption reads, The mission of the National Great Rivers Research and Education Center, referred to as NGREC, is to study big rivers and their floodplains. The scientists at NGREC have worked with the Corps of Engineers to study forest health and habitats in the floodplain. The scientific information they collect is used by the Corps and many other partners to manage a healthy Mississippi River ecosystem. The photo on the bottom shows a family in a sturdy canoe rowing on the Mississippi River. The Clark Bridge can be seen in the distance. The caption reads, The American Canoe Association promotes recreation on the Mississippi River Water Trail. On the far right of the main panel is a wide landscape photo of marshlands and a grassy pond. The grasses are green and lush and tipped in a rust-colored hue. The logo for the St. Louis Audubon Society states it was founded in 1915. Heron Pond was once a small wetlands area. It had the potential to provide a lot more habitat for birds and other wildlife. The Corps of Engineers partnered with the St. Louis Audubon Society to expand the wetlands area into a large managed marsh. Now it attracts many more birds and bird watchers. On the hip high shelf are flip cards that offer details about community events and collaborative efforts that benefit both the wildlife and the public. If you'd like to hear the information on the flip cards, press the green button now. The green button is located two rows directly above the number five. Your audio tour continues at the next exhibit, titled Managing the Wetlands. When you're ready, simply move around to the other side of this freestanding display. It will take you about six to eight steps to reach the middle of the exhibit. Please watch out for the crank handle that protrudes from the middle of the hip-high shelf. Take your time, and whenever ready to continue, press the number six on your audio guide keypad. Flip cards on the shelf, just under three and a half minutes. These flip cards have tabs at the top, much like a file folder, and photos with text on the face of each card. We'll begin with the first card, where the tab on the top sits to the far left, titled River Cleanup. This photo shows people of all ages sitting in boats, preparing to launch. The panel text reads, Living Lands and Waters is proof that one person can make a big difference. This organization works with volunteers to clean up the river and fulfill founder Chad Pragraki's teenage dream. By working with Living Lands and Waters, the Corps of Engineers and their partners demonstrate the need to care for the environment and encourage volunteering. Pull the tab down to reveal the next card, titled Swan Flight Diverters. This photo features a pair of white swans in flight over a field of prairie grass. On the right is a circle highlighting a picture of a wire with a spiral coil in the middle. The caption reads, After discovering numerous trumpeter swans injured or killed in the area, the Corps of Engineers teamed up with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service to determine the cause, overhead power lines. Working with Amren, Missouri, the local utility company, yellow curlicue flight diverters were installed to help birds see and avoid the power lines. Pull down the second tab to reveal the next card titled Mississippi River Water Trail. This photo shows several kayakers out on the river on a sunny day. As canoeing and kayaking gained popularity, the Corps of Engineers began working with the Mississippi River Water Trail Association, the St. Louis Canoe and Kayak Club, and the American Canoe Association to establish the Mississippi River Water Trail. The first section of trail was dedicated in 2007 within River Pool 24 from Saverton to Clarksville, Missouri. 
The trail now stretches to St. Louis, Missouri, with the vision of encompassing the entire river. Pull down the third tab to reveal the last photo, titled Events and Education. The card shows the Riverlands office complex, where an event tent has been erected. There are inset photos of families using scopes and children engaged in a learning activity. The Corps of Engineers and Audubon work together with many other partners, such as Missouri Department of Conservation, Sierra Club, and U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, to provide educational programming. This helps visitors understand and appreciate the environment while having fun at the same time. Whenever you're ready to reach the next exhibit titled Managing the Wetlands, move around to the other side of this freestanding display. It will take you about seven or eight steps to reach the middle of the exhibit. Please watch out for the crank handle that protrudes from the middle of the hip-high shelf. Please take your time, and whenever ready, press the number 6 on your audio guide keypad. Managing the Wetlands. Just over four minutes. The main panel text reads, Did you know the landscape outside this building was designed to play an important role? The muddy marshes and ponds are all part of a restored wetland. Wetlands provide vital habitat for birds and other wildlife. These wetlands are managed by the Corps. The water level is kept low in the spring and summer to expose mudflats for shorebirds. By adding water in the fall and winter, the Corps creates marshes and ponds for waterfowl. These changes mimic the natural changes to the water level before the levees were built. Where does the extra water come from? The Mississippi River. On the left side of the panel is an inset photo of the floodplain. Pools of water cover the low-lying areas of this wide, green carpet of grass. When rivers flood, the water spreads onto the floodplain. Wetlands hold water and release it slowly back into the ground, which reduces flooding downstream. On the right side of the main panel are two photos. The one on the top shows flat, open farmland. The crops are badly flooded, and rows of dead stalks line the watery field. A flock of white egrets crowd the flooded area. Levees and farming and development have changed the landscape of the floodplain. Some of the wetlands that would have absorbed flooding and provided habitat disappeared. Now, when the river floods, it often floods farmlands. The photo just below and to the right shows an aerial view of the broad Mississippi River, glassy calm as it winds its way to the horizon. The wide riverbank stretches on with miles of flat fields and thick forest. Restoring the wetlands here also helps protect riparian zones, the border between the river and the land, downstream. In the middle of the shelf is the box for the crank handle mechanism. To the right of the box is a flip tile with a panoramic photo of the mudflats. A flock of white birds creates graceful lines across the muddy landscape. The caption reads, Why lower the water level? The answer lies under the flip tile. To create mudflats for shorebirds. The accompanying photo shows two black-and-white shorebirds with needle-like beaks and thin red legs standing in the flats. To the left of the crankbox is another flip tile with a photo of a grassy wetlands area. Bright yellow wildflowers bloom in the foreground. Why raise the water level? To create marshes and ponds for waterfowl. This photo shows two brightly colored ducks with red beaks swimming in the water. The crank handle on the shelf is used for an interactive map that shows raising and lowering water levels in the wetlands. An illustrated map directly above the shelf uses different colored lights to show the flow of water as you crank the handle. If you'd like more information about the interactive map, 
press the green button now. The green button is located two buttons above the number five on your audio guide keypad. Or you may wish to simply move on to the next exhibit, titled Protecting Native Species. To reach the next freestanding display, put your back to the left corner of the exhibit and travel straight forward about six to eight steps. This exhibit has a large shelf about hip high, holding a flat model of a barge. Take your time, and whenever you're ready, press the number seven on your audio guide keypad. Interactive wetland map display. About four minutes. The interactive map is located on the lower third of the main panel. On the far left is section one, an aerial view of the Heron Pond Gate. A wide horizontal black band represents the levee that divides the map. Above the levee is the Mississippi River, and below the levee are the mudflats. Heron Pond can be seen below the mudflats. You can feel the tactile dots that light up to show the course of the water as it travels from the river down through the mudflats and finally into a narrow finger reaching up from Heron Pond. When you crank the handle, you can hear a series of clicks that signals the dotted lights changing color as the water runs its course. Continuing to the right is map number two. The panel text reads: "There are three water control gates in the sanctuary that can be opened or closed. Gravity, not a pump, keeps the water moving." This map shows the upper gate, which manages the water level of the sanctuary's marsh and extends to the south. You're invited to feel the tactile dots that follow the many narrow tributaries into the wetlands. To locate the upper gate, go to the center of the map, and the first dot at the top of the tributary represents the upper gate. Just to the right of the upper gate is a mark showing the river's project office, where you are now. The next map is map number three and shows the Heron Pond Gate. The panel text reads. When the Heron Pond Gate or Upper Gate is opened, water flows from the water into the wetlands to keep them wet. This map shows that the Mississippi River sits just above the wetland area, and when the gate is opened, the water flow is directed through a contained area of the wetland before winding its way back to the river. An arrow points to Heron Pond Gate on the far left side of the map, about a third of the way down. The map situated on the far right is map number four. The panel text reads. When the lower gate is opened, water flows out of the wetlands into the river. A low water level creates mudflats. This elevation map portrays the lower gate drainage structure. The levee sits in the middle, and on the left is the water for the wetlands, and to the right of the levee is the Mississippi River. The gate sits just beside the levee on the Mississippi River side. The tactile dots representing the water flow lie horizontally across the middle of the map. An arrow points from left to right to indicate the water's flow from the wetlands into the Mississippi River. Take your time exploring this exhibit, and whenever you're ready, move to the next exhibit titled "Protecting Native Species." To reach the next freestanding display, put your back against the left corner of the exhibit and travel straight forward about six to eight steps. This exhibit has a large shelf about hip high, holding a flat model of a barge. Take your time, and whenever you're ready, press the number seven on your audio guide keypad. Protecting native species. About four minutes. This display features several exhibit panels with photos and information. Set about hip high is a shelf 
holding a model of a unique barge designed to help protect one of the region's native species. The main panel text reads: Native species exist naturally in an environment. They can be plants, animals, birds, insects, or any other life form. The prairie grasses planted here are native species. Wetlands are a native habitat. They were once widespread in this area. Restoring native grasses and the wetlands helps restore bird populations, balance the environment, and sustain other life forms. To the left of the main panel is an offset photo divided into three sections. The top section has a picture of an open prairie where weedy green vegetation gives way to a brown and barren field. A truck sits in the open field. The caption reads. Prairie grasses once covered the land here. Then the land was plowed for agriculture, and crops replaced the grasses. When the fields were set aside without management, weeds took over what had long ago been prairie. The middle photo features a healthy clump of green, wiry prairie grass. Do you know what these small patches of prairie are doing? They prevent invasive plants and other weeds from growing, and keep the soil from being washed into the river. The bottom photo shows an area where a variety of green ground cover surrounds a watery marsh and mudflat. Flocks of birds populate the area. This habitat is a restored wetlands prairie. The combination of prairie grasses and marshy areas provides habitat for many different types of birds and other forms of wildlife. On the right-hand side is a smaller vertical panel titled "What's Missing." There's an illustration of an aquatic water plant with leaves shaped like a garden spade. And a bottle brush-shaped flower with lavender blooms. The panel text reads: Aquatic vegetation provides food and cover for waterfowl. It is also an important habitat for fish and insects. But native aquatic plants face two serious challenges: sedimentation and non-native species. In the middle of the panel are two photos. To the left is a picture of a biologist kneeling on the riverbank with tools to remove plants. To the right, a colorful duck swims in the water, holding vegetation in its beak. The text reads: Number one, sedimentation in the river is a natural process, but all the development in the watershed area brings too much sediment into the river. As the water becomes more muddy, less light reaches the plants, and it is harder for them to grow roots. Number two, another threat comes from non-native aquatic species, which can become invasive. The challenge is to restore native aquatic plants without letting invasive species take over. In the middle of the display is a panel titled "Return of the Least Turn." This panel ties to both the tactile model of the barge sitting on the shelf and the pull-out board located beneath the barge. If you'd like to hear a description of the barge and the accompanying panel text read aloud, press the green button now. The green button is located two buttons above the number five on your audio guide keypad, or you may wish to skip this information and move on to the next exhibit located on the other side of this display. To get there, move seven or eight steps around this exhibit to the other side. You'll encounter a shelf with a rectangular-shaped column that spins. Whenever you're ready, press the number eight on your audio guide keypad. Description of the barge and information: approximately two and a half minutes. The dominant photo shows the deck of a barge with a man docking the barge with ropes. A wide, shallow sandbox has been made on the deck, and pieces of driftwood are scattered about. On the left-hand side of the panel is a picture of two least-turned decoys sitting in the sand. 
They have solid gray wings and a white body with a black, mask-like stripe across their face. Their sharply pointed beaks are yellow. We invite you to feel the model of the barge. You'll find several sets of bird decoys and driftwood pieces. To the far left, on the front of the barge, is a rectangular solar panel. It's a call box that plays bird calls to help attract the terns. There are three questions posed on the wall panel. Their corresponding answers are provided on the pullout board. Question number one reads, Why are these barges covered in sand? The answer is, The least tern is a small bird that likes to nest on sandbars and sandy islands. The population declined because its nesting habitat was often submerged. On the pullout board is a photo of a patch of sand with an egg and two young chicks huddled together. The hatchlings and eggs are colored tan and white with lightly patterned black and brown spots. Both match the colors and texture of the sand, creating the perfect camouflage. Why are these barges anchored in Ellis Bay? A sand flat was created on these barges so the least terns could nest, and they did. And the last question and answer is... Why are those bird decoys there? Decoys help attract birds to the artificial habitat. Take your time exploring the barge, and when you're ready, the audio tour will continue around the other side of this freestanding display. To reach the next exhibit, titled The River Community, move seven or eight steps around this exhibit to the other side. You'll encounter a shelf with a rectangular-shaped column that spins. Whenever you're ready, press the number eight on your audio guide keypad. The River Community. Two minutes. This exhibit has several features. It is comprised of a main panel, a shelf that holds an interactive display called a spinner, and a shallow bin with flip cards inside. The main panel text reads, What makes up your community? If we ask the river that question, the answer might surprise you. The river community is called an ecosystem. It is made up of the interactions between every life form found in, on, around, or somehow connected to the river. To the right is a large rectangular column, which is an interactive display using spinners. It offers photos and information about the ecosystem of the Riverlands Migratory Bird Sanctuary and the benefits of effective management for all the wildlife within it. On the left side of the shelf is the shallow bin that holds the flip cards. This display is called What's the Connection and exhibits the connection between the animals, insects, and diverse flora and fauna that inhabit the sanctuary. If you'd like to hear the information about the items on the shelf, press the green button now. The green button is located two rows directly above the number five. Or you may wish to skip this information and move on to the next exhibit called the Mississippi Flyway. The Mississippi Flyway exhibit is located on the wall to your left. To get there, put your back against the spinner column and travel forward eight or nine steps. This exhibit covers the wall and has an angled shelf about hip high. Just above the shelf, mounted in the center, is a flat screen monitor. Please take your time, and whenever you're ready, press the number nine on your audio guide keypad. Spinner display, just under seven minutes. The column has text and photos on all four sides and is divided into two sections that spin independently. The top half poses a sentence or fact. The bottom half completes the information. We'll describe the top section and its matching lower section for each of the four sides. 
We'll begin with panel titled A Healthy Community. This shows a large flock of white pelicans covering the muddy banks of wetlands. The caption reads, When wetlands were lost, so was the habitat of American white pelicans. The restored wetlands now attract a growing population of the large birds. Beneath the pelicans is a picture of two men from the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers wading into the river with a canoe. Inset on top is a photo of a songbird. The caption reads, Why restore the network of forest, marsh, and prairie habitats along the river? One reason is to attract greater numbers of migrant birds, like the Swainson's warbler. Offset to right is a photo of a falcon in flight, clutching a meal. Insecticides almost eliminated the peregrine falcon, but now the fast-flying birds are returning to hunt in this area. The panel text on the lower section reads, A healthy community attracts more birds. This area was set aside as a bird sanctuary because of its location on the Mississippi Flyway. The native habitat was restored to provide good hospitality for birds traveling north or south during their seasonal migration. Success is easy to measure. You just have to count the birds. Move the spinner, both upper and lower sections, to the left, and the next panel is titled Cleaner Water for All. The dominant photo shows a group of kids using nets to sample aquatic insects to determine water quality. At the top is a photo of a leopard frog, poised to jump. Frogs are an indicator species. If frogs are abundant and healthy, it means the river community is healthy. Offset to the left is a close-up of a mosquito. Clean water is not just for drinking. Fish, insects, frogs, water birds, aquatic plants, and many other life forms spend all or most of their time in the water. They depend on clean water, too. But it's not only the river that matters. The water quality of the river, wetlands, and ponds are all linked together. The matching spinner on the bottom shows a duck with its wings pushed forward. Waterfowl don't need scientists to tell them the water is clean. A well-balanced wetland environment will provide enough water and food to sustain them. Turn both spinners to the left for the next panel, titled Restoring Native Grasses. The upper photo shows a vast prairie blooming with seed pods. Native grasses reduce soil erosion, helping to keep sediments out of the river. When prairie grasses are burned, they release their nutrients back into the soil, a natural fertilizer. Burning also prevents trees, shrubs, and weeds from taking over the prairie. The large picture on the panel shows a biologist with a drip torch dispensing fire in dry grasses. The Corps of Engineers planted thousands of pounds of native grass seed to restore this prairie marsh landscape. Now, every few years, the Corps burns the grass. These prescribed burns actually help the prairie stay healthy and also benefit the birds. The matching spinner below has a photo of a meadowlark standing in the green grass, a bug held firmly in its beak. Many types of birds are able to find food by foraging in the open spaces or low growth of a recently burned prairie. Turn the spinner one more time for the last panel, titled, Wetlands are Nature's Water Filter. This panel shows two members of the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers by the river. They are standing on a platform and operating a mechanism to manage the water level. The panel text reads, Wetlands are not just important as bird habitat. They are the river's safety valve. When fields and buildings occupy the river's floodplain, a high water level can cause disasters. Wetlands naturally occupy a floodplain. They absorb all or most of the excess water. Not only do wetlands absorb water, they can clean it too. Wetlands are like filters. 
As the water slowly seeps through the ground, wetlands trap sediments, bacteria, and excess nutrients. The water released into streams and rivers is cleaner and better for everything that depends on it, including people. The matching spinner has a background photo of the wetlands while flooded. The green grasslands are barely visible above the water. Wetlands act as a sponge when the river floods. They absorb and hold excess water, releasing it more slowly back into the ground. The photo towards the bottom shows the wetlands when the water is low. Brown marsh grass sits high above the surface of the standing water. An illustration of the Mississippi River and wetland channel is inset at the top. It shows the narrow channel looping off the river to the south and then traveling through the wetlands. The tributary reconnects to the river downstream. Wetlands help filter excess nutrients and sediments, releasing cleaner water to make its way back into the river. On the shelf to the left is a series of flip cards in a bin titled "What's the Connection?" If you'd like to hear about the flip cards, please press the yellow button now. The yellow button is located to the left of the green button, which is found two rows directly above the number five. Or you are welcome to move on to the next exhibit titled "The Mississippi Flyway." The Mississippi Flyway is located on the wall to your left. To get there, put your back against the spinner column and travel forward eight or nine steps. This exhibit covers the wall and has an angled shelf about hip high. Just above the shelf, mounted in the center, is a flat screen monitor. Please take your time, and whenever you're ready, press the number nine on your audio guide keypad. What's the connection? Flip card display. About three and a half minutes. There are six flip cards in total, with tabs at the top like a file folder. We'll begin with a photo and caption on front of the flip card that has the tab on the far left side. The photos from top to bottom are microscopic bacteria in water, a water bug gliding on the surface, and a fish. The caption reads: Bacteria is captured in the wetlands. At the lower end of the food chain, insects eat the bacteria. A fish might eat the insects. Who or what will eat the fish? Pull down the tab, and the next photos are of the river, the Melvin Price Lock and Dam, and people fishing. When the Melvin Price Locks and Dam was built just downstream of here, the landscape in this area changed dramatically. Ellis Bay was transformed into a large backwater habitat. Now Ellis Bay attracts waterfowl and other wildlife. It also attracts people who like to fish. The next flip card is a winter scene and shows photos of an active nest of bald eagles, a mature and young bald eagle standing in snow, and families dressed warmly looking through scopes. Pesticides almost caused the extinction of the bald eagle, our national bird. Good management practices have led to its strong recovery. In 2007, the bald eagle was removed from the federal endangered species list. The fourth flip tile has a photo of a slug. Opossum on the forest floor and a barred owl. Some people think the opossum is a natural pest removal service. It eats a lot of things that are a nuisance for gardens or homes, like slugs, spiders, mice, and cockroaches. In the wild, they help keep things clean by eating carrion, dead animals. They also make a good meal for an owl. Pull the fourth tab down to reveal the next card with an enlarged image of mosquito and fly larvae, a photo of a mottled brown duck. And a woman trying out a pair of binoculars. Ducks that eat insects, like the blue-winged teal or gadwall, like to feed on mosquitoes. Unfortunately for bird watchers, the ducks don't have a big impact on the mosquito population. 
The last flip card has a photo of a lime green and black caterpillar, a bloom of small white flowers, and a hawk with a red breast perched on a thick branch. One reason prairie grass was planted here was to prevent weeds. Restoring the prairie habitat also attracted wildlife such as caterpillars. Snakes eat caterpillars and hawks eat snakes, so even raptors benefit from the tall grass. The next exhibit on your audio tour is called the Mississippi Flyway and is located on the wall to your left. To get there, put your back against the spinner column and travel forward eight or nine steps. This exhibit covers the wall and has an angled shelf about hip high. Just above the shelf, mounted in the center, is a flat screen monitor. Please take your time, and whenever you're ready, press the number nine on your audio guide keypad. The Mississippi Flyway Migration Journeys, just over four minutes. This exhibit panel has a wall sized map of the Central and North American continents. The United States of America runs across the middle of the wall display. Small tactile birds have been arranged in the migratory pattern of the Mississippi Flyway. Their flight pattern originates on the bottom right of the map in both Central America and the northeastern corner, South America. Follow the birds north by northwest and you'll find their path converges in the southern United States, right by Louisiana. The migration then continues north through the continent. As they near the Great Lakes region and continue into Canada, their flight pattern diverges into four directions that span across the continent. In the center of the wall, about hip high, is an angled shelf with a row of four flip tiles, each with a photo and a question on top, and underneath, an answer to the question. This display is titled, What Do You Know About These Migrating Birds? For each tile, we'll describe the photo and read the question, then provide the answer. On the far left hand side of the shelf, the first flip tile has a photo of a green winged teal swimming in the water. This small duck has a rust colored head with a shiny green band and a dark black bill. The question reads How fast can this duck fly? Lift the tile, and the answer reads The green winged teal is one of the smallest ducks and also one of the fastest. It can fly at speeds of up to 30 miles per hour. Moving to the right, the next flip tile has a photo of a pectoral sandpiper, a slender brown and white mottled bird with a long narrow beak. How far does this shorebird travel? Answer The pectoral sandpiper has a very long migration. It breeds in Alaska and winters in southern South America. Some of them travel 18,000 miles round trip. It stops here in the spring and in the fall. Continuing to the right, The next flip tile has a photo of a small, bright yellow bird with a tiny beak. Where can you find this warbler's nest? Lift the tile. The prothonotary warbler is one of only two warblers that nest in tree cavities. It breeds in wooded areas near water. The panel on the far right has a photo of four white pelicans in flight. While their bodies are solid white, these large birds have gray wings and yellow beaks. Are these pelicans migrating? Answer. American white pelicans usually migrate from the north to the southern coastal parts of the United States in the fall, but there are pelicans here year round. Just above the shelf is a flat screen monitor with information about the Mississippi Flyway migratory journey. The touch screen display offers facts about the flyway, the journey of the migrating birds, and your journey. The touch screen display is not audio described. If you'd like more information, please ask for assistance. Take your time exploring the exhibit, and when ready, we'll continue the audio tour 
at the next exhibit around the corner titled Exploring the Riverlands Migratory Bird Sanctuary. To reach the next exhibit, turn to your right and move straight ahead five or six steps before turning the corner of your left. Once around the corner, continue forward six or seven steps before turning back to your left to face the exhibit on the wall. You'll come to a computer monitor with a keyboard on the far left side of the exhibit, about waist high, and a hip high shelf that holds a flipbook. When you're ready to continue, please press the number 10 on your audio guide keypad. Exploring the Riverlands Migratory Bird Sanctuary, about four minutes. This exhibit has a large, circular wall panel in the middle with a map of the Riverlands Migratory Bird Sanctuary. The main panel text reads, This building is located within the Bird Sanctuary. The sanctuary covers 3,700 acres of land and water. Explore the walking trails or take a bike ride. Go fishing in a pond or kayaking in the bay. And remember, slow down and take some time to watch and learn about the birds and wildlife that use this area. This non-tactile map shows the boundaries of the sanctuary and main features, such as Ellis Bay and the Mississippi River, which lie directly in front of the Orientation Center. Maple Island is situated to the southeast. The Orientation Center is marked with a red label and You Are Here Star in the center and slightly to the left. A red line shows the extensive hiking and biking trail that follows the northern boundary of the sanctuary along the Mississippi River. It also travels through Ellis Island and down Riverlands Way. In yellow are numerous hiking trails that take you through the prairie and marshlands. Through the color-coded key, it indicates that the sanctuary is primarily made up of prairie and marshlands, open water, and bottomland hardwood forest. You can ask at the front desk for more information about the many ways to enjoy the sanctuary and what the options are. Towards the bottom left of the main panel is a circular panel with a map of public lands that identifies regional birding hotspots. The text reads, The Rivers Project covers 380 miles of the Mississippi and Illinois rivers. Many agencies, including the Corps of Engineers, must work together to sustain the public land that borders these rivers. The land is being managed for the benefit of wildlife, migratory birds, and also recreation. On the far left-hand side of this exhibit, about waist-high, is a monitor with a keyboard. It is the eBird Trail Tracker for the Riverlands Migratory Bird Sanctuary. The eBird Trail Tracker enables visitors to identify bird sightings and share them with other visitors. We invite you to return here to share the different bird calls and sounds of nature you may hear while exploring the sanctuary today. To the right of the eBird Tracker is a hip-high shelf holding a flipbook titled The Joys of Journaling. Some of the journal entries included are from the expeditions of Lewis and Clark and John James Audubon, notable author and artist. On the top left-hand side of the wall panel is an Audubon illustration of a blue-winged teal. If you'd like more information about the journal on the shelf and Audubon illustration, please ask for assistance. Moving across to the right-hand side of the exhibit are three panels with a photograph featuring different waterfowl nesting, resting, and feeding with a small tactile display on the shelf below. If you'd like to hear descriptions of these photos and the tactile item, please press the green button now. The green button is located two rows directly above the number 5. Or you may wish to move on to the last exhibit on your audio tour, a green building. To reach the next stop on your audio tour, 
Start with your back to this exhibit and turn about 45 degrees to your left. Move straight forward 8 to 10 steps. You'll be traveling at a diagonal angle towards the next exhibit. You'll arrive at a wall exhibit titled A Green Building with a hip high shelf with items on it. Whenever you're ready to continue, press the number 11 on your audio guide keypad. Bird photos and tactile item on the shelf. Two and a half minutes. Moving from top to bottom, the top picture shows a brown female mallard duck sitting on her nest. The center photo is of a colorful male wood duck swimming. Male wood ducks have a glossy green head cut with white stripes, a chestnut breast, and fawn colored sides. The photo on the bottom is the cover of a flip tile. It features two shorebirds feeding in shallow water. Shorebirds are slender with long, thin legs and beaks. Lift the flip tile to see what they're eating. Shorebirds find lots of insects to eat in the mudflats. The prairie grasses, ponds, and trees in the sanctuary provide food for many other types of birds, too. In the center of a petri dish is a pinkish worm curved in an S, surrounded by flies, mosquitoes, and other small bugs. Moving down to the shelf that rests about hip high, on the far right hand side is an illustration of a shorebird known as a dunlin. This brown bird has a white breast and a long, slender bill that curves slightly downward towards the tip. The text reads The dunlin is a shorebird that is usually identified by its long, drooping bill. Study its tracks. What do you think it was doing while it walked? To the right of the illustration is a small tactile display. We invite you to feel the tracks and beak marks dunlin make when searching for food. On the far left hand side of this exhibit, about waist high, Is an eBird trail tracker for Riverlands Migratory Bird Sanctuary. The eBird trail tracker enables visitors to identify bird sightings and share them with other visitors. We invite you to return here to share the different bird calls and sounds of nature you may hear while exploring the sanctuary today. To reach the next stop on your audio tour, start with your back to this exhibit and turn about 45 degrees to your left. Move straight forward 8 to 10 steps. You'll be traveling at a diagonal angle towards the next exhibit. You'll arrive at a wall titled A Green Building with a hip high shelf with items on it. Whenever you're ready to continue, press the number 11 on your audio guide keypad. A Green Building, just under three and a half minutes. The main panel text reads A Green Building. What makes this building special? The soaring atrium, the great views, and the attractive materials create a spectacular space. But the building is not only beautiful, it is environmentally responsible. How can a building be responsible? Look at how it was designed. Materials were reused or recycled to save natural resources. The building takes less energy to heat and cool. It conserves water. The lights are energy efficient. All of these details make the building very green. On the left hand side of the panel are four photos. Starting with the top row, the picture on the left shows three silver cisterns. They're wide cylinders with capped tops. The panel text reads These cisterns collect rainwater from the roof and store it to water the landscape and fill the wetland pond. Using captured rainwater to maintain the landscape is a good conservation practice that is easy to do at home with rain barrels. The photo on the top right shows red sidewalk pavers laid neatly in a herringbone pattern. Pervious paving systems allow water to pass through into the ground instead of running off the top of the surface. 
Rainwater is absorbed into the soil below the pavers, where it is cleansed of impurities as it restores the groundwater supply. Moving down to the second row, the photo on the bottom right shows the tall windows of the orientation center that look out across the sanctuary. The windows in this building are saving energy. The special glass in the windows absorbs less heat from the sun, so the building requires half as much power to maintain a comfortable temperature inside. The photo on the bottom left is an outside view of the orientation center at night. The building is dark and devoid of any landscape or exterior lighting. Only the warm glow of an interior set of lights shines through a narrow section of the windows. The building uses minimal exterior lighting at night. This not only saves power, it protects the bird habitat from artificial light, which can confuse birds. Less lighting also provides us with better views of the night sky. On the shelf are building materials and other tactile items. If you'd like to hear descriptions and text read aloud about the items on the shelf, press the green button now. The green button is located two rows above the number five on your audio guide keypad. Or you may wish to conclude your audio tour at this time and return your listening device to where you picked it up at the visitor's information desk. To reach the desk, start with your back to this exhibit. Turn 45 degrees to your left and move forward about eight or nine steps across the room to the curved desk. On behalf of the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers and the National Audubon Society, we thank you for joining us today at the Riverlands Migratory Bird Sanctuary. We hope you enjoy your visit. Descriptions of item on shelf. About three minutes. The shelf on this display contains some of the actual materials used for this building. The text on the bottom right-hand side of the wall panel introduces each item. We invite you to touch the items on the shelf. Starting on the far left is a full-sized paver. The panel text reads: Item number one. This sample of the pavers used outside is the final piece of a multi-layer system designed to allow rainwater to slowly absorb back into the ground. The system helps reduce runoff that can cause soil erosion, and also provides additional benefits by helping to trap impurities from the water. Moving to the next item on the shelf is a ceiling panel inside a plexiglass-covered box. Item number two: the ceiling panels are made from recycled materials, and they help reduce noise levels in the building. Moving across the shelf, the next item is a small portion of a black steel I-beam. Item number three. Although you cannot see it, the building is supported by recycled steel. Using recycled building materials saves energy and conserves natural resources. The next item to your right is a brown plastic piece of roofing material. Item number four: This special roofing material is made of plastic. It is heat resistant and reflects light to keep the building cooler in the summer. Best of all, it can be recycled when it's time to replace the roof. At the right edge of the wall panel is text that describes a sensor light used to conserve energy. It's an indicator called "Let the outside in." The text reads, "Look under the shelf. Is the light on? That means it's a good time to open the windows. Sensors monitor the building temperature and humidity. The light goes on when the heating and air conditioning can be turned off and the outside air let in." If you'd like to take a green building tour. There are maps on the left-hand side of the wall panel that can be used to explore the energy-saving features of the building, such as the cisterns outside. Our staff will be happy to assist you with the information. This concludes the audio tour.
Please drop off your listening device at the visitor's information desk where you pick them up at the beginning of your tour. To reach the desk, start with your back to this exhibit. Turn 45 degrees to your left and move forward about eight or nine steps across the room to the curved desk. On behalf of the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers and the National Audubon Society, we thank you for joining us today at the Riverlands Migratory Bird Sanctuary. We hope you enjoy your time with us.